This is Crucial Tech, a podcast about technology that affects all of us in a format that allows you to consume it in the time it takes to go to and from the grocery store. I'm your host, Lou Covey, and I probably know more about it than you do. And if I don't, I know someone who does. But first... Hi, folks. Welcome back to Crucial Tech. Uh, this is Lou Covey, and we're here with the entire crew from Cyber Protection Magazine and Crucial Tech, Joe Vasquez in Austin, Texas, and Patrick Bosch in uh, Dusseldorf, Germany. And the thing is, folks, there's a lot going on in technology, especially in the area of privacy and uh, cybersecurity. It's hard to keep up. So we've been kind of chatting back and forth on uh, Messenger and trying to figure out what to do next. And we decided we're gonna go three different ways because we all, all three of us have something different we wanna talk about. And Patrick, you wanted to talk about ransomware. Yeah, I'm, I'm basically worried that sort of the old way of uh, uh, criminals doing ransomware or holding companies ransom um, is not working anymore. Or you could probably argue that it's working too well because companies uh, just come up with a good backup strategy. And if they have a good backup strategy, they don't really care if their data is encrypted because they just restore from backup, right? And uh, criminals are also uh, seeing that. And uh, what they're doing now is before encrypting the data, uh, they're copying it and then uh, selling it uh, to the highest bidder on the darknet or even openly. Yeah, and the thing is, is that there are laws in place when it comes to theft that you are guilty of a crime if you receive property that's stolen. So but how, how would how would a buyer know that uh, whether the data is you know coming from a sort of legal web scraping activity or from an illegal ransomware? Well, you know, again, it depends on what it is you're doing doing with it. But if it's presented to you as, hey, I got information about your competitor, would you like to buy it? Well, that's a pretty good uh, hint that you're doing something illegal. The price well, I probably, is probably would like to buy it, but... too, right? What was that, Joe? I said the price may be a good indication too. <laughs> if it's a Rolex for ten dollars, it's probably not a Rolex. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine these uh, cyber criminals pulling up into a company parking lot in a van and saying, "Hey, would you like to buy some information about your competitors?" <laughs> yeah, they have this trench coat and opened up. Hey. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, oh, God, that, that's given me a whole nother picture. Um, you know, there are some interesting things about ransomware that are going on right now, because uh, I've been talking to one of my main sources instead of this stuff, Matthew Rosenquist, who is of the camp that paying ransom to ransomware gangs should be made illegal. Okay, now, my initial response to that, you know, okay, okay, you want to, you want to punish the victim. Because, you know, he's just trying to get his business back. Okay. So that's the pushback from that. But then I read this article uh, yesterday in VentureBeat, uh, where a study had been shown that 80% of the companies that are hit by ransomware gangs get hit again, even after they've paid the ransom. 80%. That, that just boggled my mind, especially when the same articles said that 3% of the companies that get hit don't put any kind of cybersecurity protections in place after after they've been hit. 
that, so, that was my next question actually was was whether or not that second attempt is actually successful because it tells you that they didn't learn anything from the first one or didn't do anything to mitigate the threat yeah but then again uh remember they've stole as patrick points out they've already stolen the data the the first ransom could be okay if you want your data restored or uh, de decrypted then you got to pay the ransom uh, but on the second level, they can say, okay, you've decrypted your stuff, but we've still got it. So pay us more money or we're going to sell it on the, on the black market. Right. But on, 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 you know, it's digital. What, what would make them stop, uh, you know, even if, uh, you know, doing it, selling it again, right? Yeah. They can have a digital copy. So that actually reinforces something that, you know, Matthew's argument about this is that it's, it's not so much that it should be made illegal. It's just people have to realize that it's not going to protect you if you pay the ransom. It's it's like you know the, the whole thing about you know paying a ransom when your kid gets kidnapped and the the kidnappers kill the kid anyway. One of the th the things I've learned about criminals is that you know they start off small, but then they start getting greedy, and I think that's what's happened with ransomware gangs. I mean, attacking uh, the U.S. infrastructure with uh, with Colonial and with uh, the meat packers, uh, that hits the infrastructure heavy. And that's going to piss people off and that's going to make legislators want to make their voters happy by doing something. So I think the gangs may have actually killed off the golden goose by getting too greedy. It, it is going to be interesting to see what happens. It's something that we talk about a lot, Louis. At some point, people have to get angry and they have to push back. Yeah. Right. It's it's not enough to say, well, this was a loose gang of criminals operating in some country, but they're not operating for that country, so there's no place to push back. Yeah. At some point, when people have had enough, that's when things change. Yeah. We, we could go off on that. We can even start getting. Well, let, let, let me talk about cryptocurrency for a little bit here. Um, I don't think cryptocurrency is going to go anywhere. And you know, the argument that, well, most of the people using cryptocurrency are criminals anyway, that's not necessarily true. Uh, ba the basic studies show that about 1% to 2% of all the cryptocurrency exchanges in the world are dedicated to illicit activities, as opposed to 2 to 3% of all the money. In, in the world is being used for illicit attacks. So that in itself isn't an, an argument, but I think there could be a, a compromise on, on ransomware where you make it illegal to pay ransom in crypto. Is that gonna stop anything? What does that solve? Well, what it, what it solves is that it makes it harder for the, the criminals to actually collect the money simply because it's actually got to be in a physical form, not a digital form, and it can be traced. Uh, but then again, that's going away too, because the FBI was able to uh, get back the ransom for, from Colonial, about two thirds of it, because they were actually sitting in a crypto mixer where the criminals had tried to transfer their money through. And just, just for those who don't know what mixers are, uh, you've got cryptocurrency miners who are actually producing the crypto. And then you've got exchanges where you can exchange it for either 
cash or for other forms of crypto. All of that's legal. But then you have mixers, which are people that dedicate their servers to allowing criminals to park their money for a short time and then move it somewhere somewhere else. And the FBI is, uh, and, and other uh, law enforcement agencies around the world are now finding themselves parking in these mixers to actually see if they can find it. And then they, they capture the money that way. The whole thing is that this may solve itself as law enforcement actually catches up to this. It'll just have to change. It'll Speaking have to change quickly though, because it's a global problem, right? Yeah, but I think it is. I mean, even uh, Darkseid, after they uh, took down Colonial they decide, and got their, their money taken away, they decided to go dark. They just uh, shut down all operations and they'll pop up somewhere else, but they're going to have to make some changes in, in how they do things. It's, it's never going to be over, but there are ways we can deal with it. Yeah, the, the, the other question is, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm trying to make a transition to the next uh, topic as well here. Um, you know, couldn't, couldn't, if companies are more um, aware of what data, uh, you know, they actually can leak in the event that something happened, because, I mean, yeah, ransomware, uh, you know, you'd, you'd be protected by a backup strategy, but selling a copy, you're not protected against that. The question is, what about the, uh, the whole privacy and aren't we as, as, as end users also, well, maybe not to blame, but uh, at least partly responsible because we're sort of giving away our data without really thinking about it, right? Yeah. And, and we're doing stupid things with it. Uh, I, I just finished an interview with a company that does penetration testing. And based on their numbers, most of the, the, the ransomware attacks that get hit come through a compromised uh, business email. That is strictly a user-defined problem. Somebody is given given access to their email to someone who they shouldn't. Either, either that or it's, uh, uh, I, I, I think uh, in, in an interview I did a couple of months back to, uh, was uh, Safer Internet Day or something, probably 90%, if not more, of all cyber attacks are some sort of social engineering phishing or, yeah. you know, calling someone and, you know, just, you know, somebody giving away their credentials. Yeah. Uh, I think that the last thing, I think I, I wrote an article that 80% of all cybercrime is phishing. And then uh, it, it makes sense, right? I mean, you, you, if you see on Facebook, uh, you, you see these games, like how, how far away from your, uh, 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 from your uh, place of birth do you live now? You yeah. know, this is, this is how uh, criminals actually collect information. Right? Yeah, and you're just giving the you you're presenting it presenting it uh, on a silver tablet. Yeah, and 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 you can legally access that information just by doing web web scraping, as you point out. Exactly, it's a it's a that's a crazy thought, and how easy it is to collect that information without people realizing what they're giving away. They think they're just taking a quiz or they're just playing a game, and they're actually giving up a whole lot, and so. Lou, you talk about this a lot, right? Yeah. Regardless of whatever your security program is, your protocols, the human link is always the weakest link. What can we do about that? Like, I mean, is that just a matter of education, educating people like we're trying to do right now? Hey, don't play those quizzes. Don't give out that information. Yeah. You know, the comedian Ron White had a great phrase about that. You can't fix stupid. <laughs> 
Yeah, but I think I think it is largely the case. I mean, it 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 is us, right? I mean, if you look at um, you know, if you take a look at the other side of the of the spectrum, um, the attacks that some of the cybersecurity solutions are protecting against are so unbelievably complex, and you know, sometimes they they even seem theoretical. Uh, you know, of course, the cyber criminals don't want to do that. If the easier way is just uh, calling uh, the central line of a business and asking, hey, uh, is, I don't know, is Pete there, right? And then get, they get, get connected to Pete. And, you know, there's always a Pete in a company, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's just that easier, right? If you think about how easy that is, and then you think about the ransom that they're collecting, you go, why wouldn't someone do that, right? That's, that's yeah. almost, that's, that's easy, right? Yeah. It, it, it is so very easy, you know, and, and on the subject of these Facebook quizzes, it, it drives me nuts because you know, people send them to me all the time and I write them back a message. I say, you know, I, I'm, I don't do these things. You really shouldn't. And here's why. Nine times out of 10, the people respond was, well, it's, I'm just having fun. <laughs> it's just interesting. <laughs> and you, they know what the problem is, and yet they still do it. <laughs> but I, I think this is a really important point too, Louie. I was talking to you about this the other day. In the past, I think people had this philosophy that, you know, my business is a small to medium business, right? No one's targeting me because I don't make that much money. They're not going to get a huge ransom. It's, you know, it's just not, it's just not that urgent for them to come after me. So they never thought it would happen to them. Mm -hmm. I think the trend that I'm seeing now, and you guys tell me if you agree, is that now it's shifting to targets of opportunity, Yeah. right? We don't care really if you have $50 billion in the bank. It's just as efficient for us to get a million from you to get a few hundred thousand from you to keep your business going and move on to the next one yeah it's it's, it's not even that i think it's probably even worse uh, I, i've seen a presentation by somebody once and he said uh, you know he really calculated it and he said like okay say you have a database of five hundred thousand people which you get somewhere off the dark net and then you target those five hundred thousand with a uh, with a phishing attack Maybe just one percent or so uh, will actually click the link, and even you know, out of these one percent, another one percent ha actually that has a, an unpatched computer without antivirus. But uh, it turned out, and uh, uh, and this is uh, what I'm getting at: you don't even need to ask a small medium business for ten thousands of dollars. If you, as a as a as a private person, if your uh, data is uh, being encrypted and you don't see any other chance to get it back other than paying the ransom. And the ransom is only, I don't know, $100. You go like, ah, yeah, yeah, I can live with $100, that's fine. And you know, but if you have 10,000 of these people paying uh, $100, that's a million dollars. So, yeah. you know, it, it, right. it, it, it pays, cyber crime, cyber crime does pay, I, I believe. Yeah, I, I wrote a piece a while back about a friend of mine uh, who got caught by a, a phishing thing on Instagram where he was clicking on pictures of a fitness model <laughs> and started to have a relationship with this fitness model who didn't actually exist, but 
she actually, or whoever it was, is probably some fat guy in Ghana uh, who actually got about $1,500 out of him before his wife found out about it. <laughs> and that caused an entirely different issue. <laughs> yeah, I know. So he's now broke and divorced, right? <laughs> no, no, no. We, we saved the marriage. And, uh, okay. but, uh, he, as a result, he is no longer on social media anywhere. And, uh, he has no access to his home's computer or, or, or internet. <laughs> so, so but what do you guys think is what, what, you know, Apple has been introducing some uh, sort of privacy measures, uh, in, in their uh, latest, uh, uh, operating systems. Do you think that will help against some of this stuff? Um, I think it will in that it's going to hurt marketing efforts of companies that actually do that web scraping. Um, we've, we've already, we've been talking about that because of our newsletter that we won't be seeing Apple's uh, email opens uh, because they're going to be blocking that. Um, that opens the possibility for some new technologies that will be an opt-in process. Uh, where where people will say, okay, you can have this information about me. And I think e even though that doesn't necessarily solve the problem, it does put more responsibility on the individual. And it will, it will actually, I think it will actually help marketers overall, because instead of just having these blast emails, you're actually going to have to uh, connect with these people and give them information that they actually find valuable and that the, and create trust. Uh, too much of marketing right now is just blind crap. I think it also helps in the scenario I was talking about before about just educating people, right? Apple putting the decision in the user's hand makes people aware of what's going on behind the scenes. And I yeah. think that's when they get to make good decisions. And I think you got a good point there. Um, yeah. And I think other companies need to start figuring that out. Uh, Amazon being one of them, <laughs> oh, yeah. and, and, and using that as our segue, Joe, what do you think about Amazon Sidewalk? Yeah, so under the just the PSA kind of announcement for people who don't know, uh, Amazon Sidewalk is a project that Amazon worked on that connects Alexa devices with your neighbors in your neighborhood. And the theory is that this strengthens the Wi-Fi signal. Uh, and you'd be able to do things like roam outside of your home and still have things connected. Uh, sounds like a great idea in theory. I think there are some good applications, but I, you know, the whole thing just sounded kind of, it just sounds kind of wrong place, wrong time, right? When you put it up against Apple's new things that they're putting out where it gives people the control. The biggest thing about Amazon for me was that you did not have the option to opt in, you were automatically opted in if you own an Echo device, a Ring device. So again, this is where one of those things where users wouldn't necessarily know that their products are being used to extend range. They wouldn't necessarily know some of their bandwidth is being used. Now, I realize it's a very small amount, but at the same time, um, if you're not given the option or the, you know, you're not asked if you want to share, you're just being told you're going to share. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's a problem. It just doesn't feel right. The other thing from a security standpoint um, is, guys, we know how hard it is to protect a private network. Uh, I don't know that people necessarily want to just be sharing publicly 
uh, especially without the knowledge that they're doing that. Yeah. Yeah, part of it has to do with culture because, you know, Patrick, you're, you're not really affected by this because you're in the EU and the EU doesn't let you do stuff like that. <laughs> well, come to think of it, um, we actually had an, an Internet provider, uh, I think, two years back. And what they did um, when you had one of their routers, uh, basically, um, you would open up another public hotspot, public Wi-Fi hotspot. Yeah, but did you have uh, to and that was something they did? by default as well okay um and you had to opt out uh, though i'm not sure whether this was before the gdpr um was in place so you yeah. know before 2018 but yeah definitely hit the news yeah and the thing is that's that's true here in the u.s both comcast and at&t uh their routers are set up to do that but um i just recently switched over from comcast to at&t and they actually gave me the option to turn it on. I said, well, actually, they gave me the option to turn it off. Uh, they let me know right up front. Uh, Comcast never did. Comcast just kind of snuck that in on us. And I discovered it on accident and actually wrote about it a couple of years ago. Uh, and the thing is, with, with Wi-Fi, I really shouldn't have to worry too much about it because where my Wi-Fi router is placed is way off of the common street. Although I did have uh, a neighbor kid try and hack into it about five years ago. Uh, but this particular thing, I, I'm concerned about it because there, you know, there was the article that we talked about uh, a few months ago about a Bluetooth teapot that was being sold in uh, uh, the UK so that you could have the, your tea water hot you know, order to get hot as you're coming home on your commute. Uh, which kind of made, I thought was kind of stupid, but uh, it turns out that hackers were able to use that Bluetooth connection to infiltrate the home network and actually, and from there, infiltrate the, uh, uh, the family's bank account <laughs> and clean them out. So uh, you've got to have some protections in there. And Amazon says they're in there. I'm sure that there will be some intelligent hacker who will figure out a way through that. Uh, and the problem is, is that, as I said, with my router, you've got a, a limited range of that. But with this particular technology, it's a range of like 500 meters. That's the one thing. And then, you know, looking at how many people actually own Echo devices these days, uh, wouldn't it, if, you know, if, if, uh, if a hacker would actually be able to penetrate that, wouldn't he have immediate access to not just one of these networks, but all of them? I'm thinking, yeah, that's probably true. Uh, and Joe, you mentioned, yeah, you both mentioned just the Alexa products, but I've got Alexa or Amazon Music on this, which has an Alexa connection. So even your cell phones ah. are, are involved in this. Apple doesn't block that. That 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 could be, and there's uh, you know more and more devices who are Alexa enabled, right? So yeah, so it's all Alexa enabled devices, and that's that in itself is scary. But there is a bright side. Uh, I I have regular conversations with Bob Frankston, who was well, essentially we wouldn't have Excel spreadsheets if it wasn't for Bob Frankston. He came up with the whole idea of a digital spreadsheet. And he, he is uh, uh, 
he is one of the more respected technologists in the world, especially when it comes to the issue of, of, connect, of connectivity. And he has a positive view of this in that a lot of medical devices that are crucial to someone staying alive are Bluetooth connected, like a, 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 a what do you call those things? Uh, heart, heart, heart monitors or uh, uh, defibrillators uh, that that can that if something goes wrong, uh, it'll, if if they're in their their network, it'll let uh, the, the medical people know there's a problem. But if they're out walking the street and they're not don't have a, an internet connection, if they are in range of one of these Alexa uh, grids, it will alert medical authorities so they can come help you. So we, we got to consider that, you know, the way things are going in the medical world and all of our, our connected devices, that it might not be a bad idea. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times technology too, we, we, you know, there's good and bad to everything. I think the biggest thing here was just uh, you know, letting people know that they're, they have the option out there, you know, they, they can choose what they want to do. Yeah. Uh, the options for opting out are not difficult to find. You can Google them. But I think what's going on in the background is a lot of people don't know that they're being included in the network. Yeah. And uh, that being said, even though I, I, I see the plus side of it, I turned <laughs> that option off a long time ago. <laughs> I'm just too paranoid to let that happen. I am not surprised, Lou. Yeah. So, um, so we yeah, should and, be paranoid, I think. Yeah. And, yeah, we should be. And the problem is, I don't think we're paranoid enough. And basically, because we don't know enough. I think that's should. another important point, though, right? Is a little bit of healthy skepticism, a little bit of paranoia, because, you know, as a cyber criminal, if you've got three targets and you've got one that's a little bit difficult, you're going to move on to the other two because they're much easier to get to. Yeah. That's yeah, what, actually, that's when, when, when we build our home and uh, we had the police uh, look at our sort of protection measures, safe, so security, not digital security, but physical security measures. Uh, that's what they said, right? You know that, that old um, uh, story with the guy uh, or the two guys who go into the woods and one of them is bringing sneakers and the other guy goes, hey, what do you need sneakers for? Uh, and he says, for the bears. And the other guy goes, well, you know, even with sneakers, you're not as fast as the bear. And he said, well, I'm not going to be, I, I don't need to be faster than the bear. I just need to be faster than you. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, is that part of the education issue is also affecting the issue of employment in cybersecurity. Yeah. Uh, people don't know what they don't know and they don't know where to start. Yeah. And there are a million jobs that are available right now in cybersecurity. And I mean, good paying jobs, six figures. And they're not, they're not that difficult, right? I mean, no. I'm, I'm actually, I'm just in a, in a, in a um, sort of uh, security course now as well. And uh, there were some people who said explicitly, my goal, why I am in this course is so I can teach other people about security. And I think that's what needed, you know, that, that's, we're, we're yeah. going back to the, to the fact that 80 or 90% of uh, attacks are uh, social engineering. People need to be educated and we need more people to be educated to educate other people and to protect us, right? Yeah. And, you know, so, and the thing is, it, it is available. There are free courses everywhere. 
it, it's, it's actually creating a problem for universities who are offering four years, four year degrees in cybersecurity when you've got uh, Amazon Web Services have, have got free courses and certification for all kinds of uh, security jobs. You just got to be willing to, do, to take them. It costs you nothing. And it, it only takes six weeks to get certified for most of these. Yeah, and I believe Microsoft has them. And uh, as you said, I mean, this, you know, those kind of certifications are a good entry point into the world of cybersecurity. If you know something about security, you will get a job. You know, it's not well, a question okay. of... That's, that's not necessarily true. <laughs> and I'm working on an article about this too, because the frustration that I've found out there is the the hiring managers for cybersecurity saying the people human resources send to us are crap they 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 can't do the jobs they don't have the certifications they don't have the experience and my question to them was how did you train human resources in what to look for what do you mean train human resources <laughs> So essentially, you've got the, the people hiring people given inadequate descriptions of what the job qualifications are and have no idea what to look for. So you know, if you go up on Twitter or, or Facebook groups about cybersecurity, there are people asking all the time, where do I look for jobs? I've got my certification. I can't seem to get anyone to hire me. And that's because the human resources department don't really know what to look for. And that's where the catch 22 is. The jobs are open, but the, there is a bottleneck in trying to get people connected to the jobs themselves. And a lot of that has to do with what we're talking about is the education of, on what security is all about. And it's only gonna come from the hiring managers, not from the hu human resources, because they don't know what to look for, just like most small to medium businesses don't know what to ask for when it comes to securing their own networks. So that's the third one. And that's essentially what we wanted to talk about today, folks. Uh, it's been kind of a grab bag, uh, but you need to educate yourself. The resources are there. You need to have a bit of uh, skepticism when you're when you're online, and you may or may not need to pay that ransomware, but you need to think about it. That's my wrap up, Patrick. What do you want to say? Well, I'm I'm just thinking of that uh, famous line from Kurt Cobain, uh, who said. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean I'm not after you. So, you know, that sort of turns it upside down. But uh, I think that's some uh, good closing words. Yeah. Joe, what's yours? I'm, I'm just not even really sure how to follow that up because that was perfect. But I will say, if you're looking for education, one of the easiest things you can do, follow Crucial Tech wherever you get your podcast. These are nice. They're simple. They're quick. And they're a great way to keep up to date. And with that blatant self-promotion, we'll put an end to this episode of Crucial Tech. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments or questions, you can go to the cyberprotectionmagazine.com. That's cyberprotection-magazine.com. Uh, and you can uh, leave
leave some messages there, or you can go to the anchor.fm slash crucial tech site, and there's a place there where you can leave a one-minute audio question or comment. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, so this has been Lou Covey, Joe Basquez, and Patrick Bosch signing off with Crucial Tech, a Footwasher Media production. <laughs>